Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Counter Charge. I'm Steve Hildry. I'm Jeremy Duvall. I'm Alex Coose. And I'm Matt Croger. And thanks for joining us for our wrap-up of our last Call to Arms games, which was round six, which wrapped up... Uh, what's the day today? So wrapped up a couple of days ago and you know we've finally all got together again to talk about our games. Spoiler alert, it was a bit of a clean sweep for Counter Charge in the end. We'll go through our games one by one. Hopefully Alex, you know, won't take as long to talk through his as it took to watch and commentate on. <laughs> but <laughs> um, we'll see how we go. Who who wants to kick us off? Jeremy, do you want to go first? Sure. Sure. I Got matched up with Adam Ballard, the mountain chair and uh, TO of Bug Eater GT. Adam's a really cool guy. Uh, and we had never actually played either online or in person. So I was really excited to um, get a chance to play him. So again, I was wrapping up the tournament with the uh, poll. You know, each round I had you guys pick my army. So the winner of this, of the last round, was Twilight Kid. I probably had somewhat of an advantage compared to the other ones in that I had played this list twice before, whereas most of the other lists I had never played. So I felt like a little bit comfortable with this Twilight Kin list, and it was had some flavors of my Basilean list. Um, but I'll go ahead and read what I took. So I took three regiments of impalers. I love impalers. I think they're really good. I think they're a little under the radar. I think in combining them with other aspects that the Twilight Kin list has, I think they're very good. So I had three regiments of those. I had some of the thick boys, three regiments of cronebound butchers. Uh, one had the healing brew. And then all my impalers had the scream shard, which was like the one use life leech item. Two cronebound abyssal horsemen regiments, one with sharpness, one with strength. Strength, so just super, super, super hitty cav. I had two mine screeches. I had a soul bane with blade of slashing, so some dread. I had a summoner crone with boots of levitation, bane chant, and then the upgraded drain life, so drain life nine. And then I had Mikael, Lord of Nightmares who's the hero cav, uh, pretty beefy, 260 points, but um, for those who don't know, speed 9, crushing strength through to dread, elite, iron resolve, mighty, stealthy. He's got his sword of umbra, which is basically he gets to double his attacks against all sorts of like monsters and titans and stuff like that. So if he's into the right thing, he's got 12 attacks on threes with elite and dread, so pretty good. And I played Adam Ballard's Empire of Dust. You know, Adam was known for the Silver Silver Breeze Elves. Pretty much over the last few years at Masters is what he's played. He has this army built and painted, this Empire of Dust army. So this is something he's planned on playing live this year and hasn't really had a chance to. So, um, so that list has uh, Skeleton Warriors, two regiments of Skeleton Spearmen, Regiment of Mummies, a horde of Enslaved Guardians with Caterpillar, Horde of Enslaved Guardian Archers, two Bone Giants, a Monolith, two Catabolts, Soul Snare, Cursed High Priest, and Idol of Shobik. So some shooting, uh, a bunch of good stuff. I'll preface to say that I played in Bug Eater this last weekend. 
So uh, and th- so this game with Adam is now seven or eight UB games in my rear view. So I'm going to give you the non Alex Kuzian version and I'm going to go through my game very quickly. Um, I had basically deployed kind of in the center of my line. I had my three regiments of butchers, right? Three impalers behind them sort of to the right of the main line was a, uh, a hill. So then that way, as I'm moving up, I get the butchers on a hill. I get the impalers on a hill because impalers coming off a hill it's just like super tasty, you know, 15 attacks on threes with crushing strength one and thunderous charge one. Plus, if I need to throw a Bane chant in there, um, if he, he happened to put Chobik over there or whatever, however I wanted to do it. And then I had my calves sort of on my left. Um, and then uh, Adam did kind of a, a he had a hill kind of in front of his deployment zone, too. So he put his enslaved guardians behind them so that they could get surged up and then shoot. And then he had all his monsters spread out, trying to do some uh, monster mash. So going into the game, um, I was trying to look at, you know, what should I try to accomplish or what do I have to worry about? You know, I felt okay with his um, shooting in that um, I did have some stealthy protection. You know, those butchers are always really nice to block from shooting. So first turn, so and then kind of to the left of the hill. Adam had his monolith set up, which was really nice. Like the monolith is at the beginning of your shooting phase. You get like a free surge, right? Um, So he had that in a really good position. And actually the monolith is like really tough to kill. When you look at its stats, uh, dash 17, defense 5, you know, is pretty good. And with all his monster mash, I was somewhat concerned about that. So I moved up. Early on, he he got his enslaved guardians on the hill, and I thought I had used my butchers well enough, like my butcher that was on the hill, to sort of guide, to you know, block off line of sight. But he was able to get some shooting on some of my impaler regiments early, starting to put damage on them. When I moved up, uh, and also just I, still getting used to the army, I moved up and I gave him a flank charge on one of my butcher chaff, which is you never want to give your opponent a flank charge on your chaff, and then they kill it, and then they move sideways out of all of your arcs and are standing your whole battle line in the flank, which is what happened on that first turn. And I was like, oh, no. So then after that, I was in this position where I had an impaler charge off a hill into the monolith, and I was like, as soon as he starts eliminating my chaff, any surge that he has, he's just going to wreck me. Because he had his enslaved guardian melee guys moving up Uh, a flank and getting into a great position so i was like you know what i'm off to a bad start i need to be a little risky here so i took my impalers off the hill into his monolith uh i got 13 hits and two ones i converted the two ones into hits so i hit him 15 times um needing threes i think i did nine damage and then i rolled a nine and a ten so I took the monolith off with the, the superstar impalers. Then next turn, he countercharges me with enslaved guardian archers and a regiment of mummies. The impalers live. The impalers countercharge the enslaved guardian archers, kill them too in one round of combat. And then it takes his mummies then another turn to go after uh, that unit. So basically I had one unit of impalers that essentially kept me in the game in the first part. And then pretty much we had one key turn in turn four where I had the opportunity to either try to pile everyone on instead of Mikhail onto um, Shobik. And I just decided, you know what? Shobik's just such a pain. I'm not even going to 
I'm not even going to deal with him. I'm just going to kill um, that same turn. I, after like looking at a bunch of angles and stuff, I saw that I had Mikael into the Soul Snare. So I was just like, you know what? Shobik will do Shobik things. I'm going to go kill the Soul Soul Snare. Went and took out the Soul Snare. Um, and then we got into a position where all of a sudden, if there's no turn seven, I win the game. Um, I had, um, like, really, it was that one round of combat where I killed the Monolith, and then he countercharged me and couldn't kill my, that Impaler Regiment, and then I countercharged and, and killed the Enslaved Guardians. Once I did that, that put me right back in the game. And by then, usually I found when I'm playing an army I'm not super familiar with, once I get to turn three or turn four, I start have the rhythm of the army, and I'm feeling good, and I'm making better choices. So thankfully, I was able to battle my way out of um, that early mistake of giving up the flank, and then he, you know, sidestepped with that bone giant. So I was able to get the victory. It was a great game. Uh, Adam was super fun to play against. You know, really, really, really great player. It's very good. And then that put me at the tournament as uh, four, one, and one, which I was really excited about. Yeah, so I think uh, we'll go over the final results at the end of the show, but I was pretty close to my wh- wh- where my goal wanted to be standing-wise, but um, who wants to go next? Yeah, I think before before we carry on, there's your strategy there with Shobik is absolutely right, and I've been doing that a lot as well, because there tends to be something in the army that you can't kill, or you just can't deal with, right? Like it's a flying character, or it's some defense six nonsense and stuff like that. And I genuinely think the best strategy is just ignore it. Right, so I, I'm just going to pretend that's not there. Because if you start worrying about it, you waste your clock and you're spending units trying to kill this thing that's completely impossible. I was I played a game against um, Ed Herzig's Shambler list in a, in a different tournament. And the one mistake I made the entire game was I, I tried to charge his tree herder, which was dumb. I was playing Rack and I had nothing that could kill it. And I had an alternative target, but I thought I'd have a go on it. Ridiculous thing to do because you're not going to do anything. It's literally wasted effort. Just ignore these defense six impossible things and focus on the rest of the army because you can't win with just that unit. So I think and that's a great yeah, strategy. No, you're exactly so often right. Those are, so often those are like unit strength one, right? So for most scenarios, it's not hard to negate that yeah, with something else. Yeah. yeah. No, Alex, you bring up a really good point. And that was sort of like the final. I had set up all my charges with trying to kill Shobik. And I took a set and I was like, well, if I even kill, kill him, what does this really net me scenario-wise? And that's really like what I tried to go always fall back on when I was playing all these uh, viewer-selected armies was what is the scenario? Play the scenario. Don't stress about trying to kill this or that. Is you don't, you're, you're not as familiar with the army, so let's always just go back to you know what is the best thing for me to do in this scenario no matter if it means this unit dies or I give up a completely fresh charge or what, it's always like, well, what, what do I need to do to win the game? Um, and that was like a good guiding, guiding principle to sort of stay in, in tune with while playing stuff that I'm not familiar with. Um, but I, I like Twilight Kin. I know we have a Twilight, Twilight Kin review sort of scheduled for the future, right, Steve? I think they're, they're, they're a really good army. We do. Yeah, no, so I'm really, really excited about the Twilight Kin review. It's coming up. We've got, we've got, Kyle Pretzel Twinkie, and we've got me, and we've got um, uh, Fred from Giant Dwarf, and we've got Elliot. So, you know, really, really good players, great guys. I'm really excited for that. It's coming up uh, early July, so that's going to be awesome. I tell you what, I will go next because I also played Twilight Kin uh, because I just, in every way in my life, want to be more like Jeremy Duvall. Um, and it's really interesting that, at least not too dissimilar, I share kind of your, your love 
for the impalers. A lot of people have been dumping on impalers because they just just underwhelm. And I get it. I just kind of think, you know, they're 15 attacks hitting on threes with crush one. How can that be bad? I don't I don't understand how they can be bad. Um, so I've got two regiments impalers. Uh, I've got two, uh, three troops of uh, gargoyles because gargoyles are great. I've, um, I've only got two regiments, but I've got one horde of butchers. So two regiments, one horde. Um, and then I've got the two horsemen, just like Jeremy's list, uh, but one with sharpness and one with caterpillar rather than strength. And then I've got a mounted soulbane. And then I had two summoner crones. So one of them had wings and the steps and the steps of shadows. Um, so she can fly and then drain life nine. Um, and one had a horse and boots levitation. So both really, really mobile, um, uh, really good. And then I've got Mikhail as well, because I think Mikhail is excellent. And I just think he just, people are always so really expensive, but the guy is, you know, he's got an 18 inch charge. He's got a 360 degree threat range. Um, if it's a hero, a monster, he's 12 attacks, crush two. I mean, he's just great. And he's dread. Fantastic. So I was playing against, he says, forgetting the name, Zach Clark. So Zach uh, was from Texas, and I'd not met him before, so it was cool to play him. And he was playing Undead, uh, because uh, life hates me. So he had a really interesting Undead list. So this is, he's practicing for a tournament where there's going to be lots of special heroes. So he's kind of he's got a hero killer list, which is bad for me, because my army's full of heroes. So his Undead list, um, these are 2300 lists, by the way. Boo. Anyway, so he had um, two regiments of zombies, one of them with a fire oil. He had a horde of revenants with Ages of the Alohi and Undead Giant Rats. So lots of Life Leech and um, what's it called? I'm Resolve. So Life Leech 2. Uh, he had two regiments of Soul Reaver Infantry, one with Chalice of Wrath and one with Staying Stone. So murder machines. A horde of werewolves with the Striding Boots. Two Gore Blights. Um, and he had a mounted Vampire Lord with a Blade of Slashing. A Necromancer with Bane Chant. And then he had Morgoth and Lady Alona. And I've never seen a list that has more... I've never seen a list with Lady Alona in it, version 3, frankly, because um, she's 280 points, right? But he had Morgoth and Lady Alona. So he had 12 units with a unit strength of 19 with this kind of murder-murder list. Yeah, so we... Kind of interesting. So basically, we set up all the, the tokens. So this is um, Sort the Earth, right? So the when I set up the tokens, I because I've got so many gargoyles, I put... The, the map we had had two forests in the middle... Um, and then a piece of impassable terrain on the left-hand side for both sides at this point. I put a token behind both of those because my thought was I'm just going to stick a gargoyle behind it, sit on that token, and burn it if he comes near. So he has to spend resource coming near me. And the others were kind of distributed out across the rest of the map. Um, and then so he put most of his force in the middle. Um, he didn't really use his zombies for screening. He just kind of deployed in a line. And I was watching for where Lady Alona went because her lover's kiss or whatever it's called ability. Um, what is it called? It is called Promise of Love. Oh, Promise of Love. The Promise of Love Eternal, actually. It's much like what Matt um, offers to me every week but when he's drunk. Um, Sounds like a good 80s like metal ballad or something. <laughs> you imagine her with her... I imagine Lady Alona having a very like perm a massive perm because that's when she was made into a vampire right when it was fashionable and like a shell suit she's just there with a v-shaped guitar anyway so you don't want that on your heroes because it sucks especially mikhail would really fluff with that so she was in the center um and i deployed um my 
you know, there's pretty standard deployment for this, which is a hammer and anvil. So there's a hill right in front of my deployment area. So I think I got to choose sides. So I got my cavalry up onto that hill and I had the impalers behind the butchers, right? Because the, the butchers just scream for the impalers. The, the butchers tend to take one charge and die on the second charge, by which time I can charge the impalers in. So it works quite well. And I'm a hero smattered around. I had gargoyles. And then on the right-hand side, because I didn't usually pay 2300, so I had this extra butcher horde. I put my butchers on the right-hand side with another gargoyle behind them, and all he had on that side was his werewolves, and then a gorblight and um, Morgoth. And then he pushed his werewolves um, all the way forward on that right-hand side, right up in front of the butchers, which was a silly thing to do, really. And he kind of said, I don't know why I did that, because in a grind-out, the butchers are going to win. They, they've got better nerve. They've got better crushing. Um, they haven't got quite as good attacks, but I've got, you know, I redeployed... Um, the summoner crone with with um on the horse so she could literally get over and i got mikhail over as, over there as well and um because mikhail was there he couldn't fly morgoth out to quite kind of capitalize on stuff so and i looked at the, the layout of the board and i realized i had my gargoyles on token on the back he had one of the, um at the top but he he was pushing all his forces forward and he had his revenants which is the one i the bit i was most scared i'm scared of soul reavers but the revenants I can't kill because they're just nerve is ridiculous and they're so grindy. He'd put that on a token. It was behind a forest and he just kind of kept it there. And I was like, please keep it there as long as possible. This is going to be great. So I eventually won on the right hand side. Um, the butchers just got very lucky and even better. He'd, he'd try in a, in a kind of last ditch attempt to try and get rid of the butchers. He'd shoved his gorblight out and he put Morgoth out as well. So I got Mikhail into Morgoth and took him off in a single go. So the Lord of the Twilight Kin slaughtered the Lord of the Undead, which was really glorious. I think I rolled a 9 and a 10 on the nerve or something like that. So it was just very, very lucky. So that meant on the right-hand side, because my gargoyles were still alive as well, I was just going to win. So I had two tokens down the right-hand side, and I had one back at the back with my gargoyles. So I was like, okay, I just need to get win that center token then. And he had his soul, his soul Reavers there kind of like trundling forwards and i was like oh that's not great so i kind of I, I delayed him on the left and made him put as much resource into the stuff on the left and i just kind of fed him unit after unit after unit that's what happened something cool happened right this was really funny i remember now so i had my uh, horseman on the hill right and they were and he was backing off his army he's a little bit scared because you know two horses into anything going to kill him even those um revenants and then he was kind of shuffling units around and he made a mistake he put lady alona within the charge range of my horses with sharpness and I was watching it when he didn't. I thought, ha ha. Um, and I got out the old Kings of War calculator website. I don't know if you guys have seen that. With You can put all the numbers in it. It tells you the percentage chance of killing stuff. Right? So I'm there tapping numbers. I'm, like, I'm going I'm to page near this. I'm going I'm to fully matrix it. And I'm there tapping numbers. And it says, you have, you've got a 56% chance of killing a loner. So I'm off a hill into defense six, 18 attacks hitting on twos and threes. Right, I've got a fifty something, fifty six percent chance of killing a loner, and I'm like, I'm gonna do it. So I'm like, it comes to, it, I'm like, I'm, I think you've left a loner in range. He's like that. Oh no! And I was like, oh yes, because if I kill a loner, I then flank one of the soul reavers, and everything looks bad for him. Right, so I come thundering off the hill, and I come anyway. Uh, Eleven hits, six wounds. She's fine, and then um, my horses got murdered by both soul reavers at the same time. <laughs> it was just really appalling. Anyway, that was a fun story. So after that happened, <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, I really I really need this token in the middle. So I just started to feed him units one at a time, just one unit after one unit after another, one unit after after another. And I empty Ilona was kind of hanging around being a bit annoying. So I I put um my summoner crone suspiciously within range and he took the bait and he charged Ilona into her, you know, because um, Ilona's a murder machine. 
but it was hindered so she survived an extra turn and he i think he realized about turn five that he wasn't going to get that center token because he just couldn't he only had his zombies into my impalers and they just couldn't do it. and i refused to attack every turn i'm like that and i don't attack you because it's hindered so he'd be hitting on sixes every single time so yeah so at the end i, I claimed the middle token there was no turn seven if there was a turn seven it would have been very very bad uh, because everything would have died and um uh, yeah, one uh, four tokens to to two. That was rather longer than I planned because I kept remembering things as I went through. But it was good, really good fun game and um, really interesting army to play against. I'm not sure it's perhaps optimal to have both Morgoth and Lady Alona. It's an enormous amount of points and two heroes. But yeah, yeah there's not a lot of unit strengths for a token-based or like an objective-based scenario. <laughs> I think you're just expecting to kill everything which he, he very nearly did i didn't have a lot left if i'm honest but yeah it was good fun nonetheless and so it turns out 56 percent isn't that good a chance steve yeah turns out math hammer doesn't work if mm. direct miss five got absolutely right just i mean i, do, I was i would still do the, do, do the charge again just because it's fun i can't think of anything more fun than <laughs> look i'm gonna murder your hero ah, i didn't die and he got to roll 50 attacks on my cavalry. you know rob's really got to step up his comedy song parody stuff i mean are we the musical podcast or not i know i mean <laughs> <laughs> we're being left we're being left behind aren't we I guess so. And now part of me wonders if I'm talking about all these. He made all these songs and he told me and I don't remember if they actually ever got played on air or if he just has a secret bootleg solo album in. in... I think he has a secret bootleg album. Oh, but him. I don't want to hear him him sing anything ever. Him him and Billy and Devlin have like all of these Kings of War parody songs. Some of them are actually pretty funny. So anyway, I digress. Okay, <laughs> he, can, he can write one called "The Promise of Love Eternal." Yes, yeah, uh-huh. sounds good. Uh, so, who's next, Crocher? Oh, me. Okay, I was going to say we've got a spare forty-five minutes free. We could get Alex going, but um... streamed <laughs> <laughs> right. It was yeah. and you commented on it. So yeah, yeah, I had to get up at like three thirty in the morning. Playing and what you were thinking while you were, you know, trying to stay awake. So mm. while Brinton was ignoring you on the commentary, that kind of. Uh... <laughs> Uh, so for my last game I played a fellow Australian Michael Clark who Jeremy you played earlier in the tournament maybe last round actually yes Um, and look we were getting a bit of CTA fatigue by the end so we decided to well one we decided to stick with 2000 points instead of 2300 because you know that's the real way to write lists right Steve Uh, 100% it's the it's the correct way to play kings of war in fact exactly yeah there's no other way um and so we decided to do um a whole bunch of little rules around list design we both agreed to play a list we'd never played before and we said that you could take no more than two of any type of unit but within that they couldn't be the same size of unit and you couldn't take any more than one type of hero, monster, or war machine. So that lent to a couple of lists that just read like an absolute dog's breakfast. Clarky played Sylvankin. So he had a troop of Bosgraiths, a regiment of Forest Guard, a horde of Forest Guard, a regiment of Gladestalkers, a regiment of Hunters of the Wild, a horde of Shamblers with Chalice of Wrath, the Windborne Cavalry, uh, a troop of Silver Breeze Cavalry, 
a tr- uh, I was going to say a tree herder, but he was upgraded to the Wilt Father and gave him the chant of hate, so it was elite and vicious. Um, a standard bearer with Zilut and Elric Nisleen, who's the special character that hits on twos, um, who's pretty cool and has Fireball 8, but it's uh, his Fireball 8 has Shattering, I think the special rule gives him. So, interesting list there. I took Trident Realms. Uh, with a horde of ensnarers, a regiment of placoderms, uh, a regiment of tidal swarm, a horde of depth horrors, a horde of naiad worm riders, a horde of dam busters, a regiment of giggers, a knucker, a naiad worm rider centurion, a naiad envoy with the bastion two spell, and a loot of insatiable darkness, uh, a riverguard sentinel with the uh, vanguarding boots. Uh, and Ector. Oh, man. Ector is so good. I love Ector. I mean, funny, mate. It just sounds like you're just reading down the army list. These, these are the Doesn't selections it? you can have in the oh, list. I had one of, the, one of all of them. Yeah, I, try, I tried to... Um, I tried so many lists where I had doubles of things, but just, like, doing the different sizes of something just didn't work for me. So I was like, all right, I'll just take a lot of different stuff. Um, but they, I always came back to having Ector, that's for sure. That guy is just... A beast. Look, in this game, I certainly, as uh, as I am wont to do, got a little bit lucky, but I also got the matchups I wanted from deployment. Um, so most of our tokens ended up on the right-hand side of the board. So I went heavy on that side with my stuff that I thought was um, reasonably, <clears throat> well, not unkillable, but less killable. So the ensnarers, placoderms, tidal swarm, um, and the giggers backed up by the depth horrors and i had my envoy over there as well and then basically i put my faster stuff on one flank um so that was the worm riders the centurion the naka the riverguard sentinel because he or she has fly um and ensnare and oh sorry ector was over with the main block uh and then i had the dam busters in the center so that they could go whichever way they wanted and then I was kind of hoping that Clarky would get the first Vanguard role because he had his he had a unit of uh, Glade Stalkers behind the forest, and if he was going to push him into the forest, then after I Vanguarded with the Sentinel, I figured I could probably get a turn one charge off on them. Um, and then he only had basically his Windborne and Silver Breeze facing off my against my other fast stuff, so I was pretty confident of winning that flank and then swinging back to the middle. Um, and so he did Vanguard. He did win the roll and Vanguard into the forest. Didn't do much damage with his shooting. Once we'd all Vanguarded, I got turn one and put my my Sentinel straight into his Glade Stalkers um, and disordered them. I didn't break them, but I did a few wounds. And then I was pretty confident that that would be able to fly off in any direction that it wanted after. But on the next turn, he countercharged, did one damage, and then box card it twice. <laughs> to take it off in the first turn. So that ruined my plans a little bit, but thankfully I still had enough fast stuff over there to dominate that flank. And so once that flank went down, I was able to swing back towards the middle. And Ector actually didn't see combat all game, but he kept doing his wind blast spell that does damage, which was really handy just for pip damage. And on the right flank, I, I actually kept, because uh, the tokens were reasonably favourable, I kept pushing back until about the fifth turn before I went forward to um, to block up the charges I wanted. Got a bit lucky, but I also, towards the end of the game, it ended up quite close because uh, what I found is that 
Trident realms with their low def do die very easily on their on their heavy, particularly on their more hammery stuff, um, dies pretty easily. So, um, but in the end, I think I won three tokens to one or something like that. I got a, a twenty two or a twenty three to to eight, um, but it was a good fun game. It was interesting to have those um, lists. Neither of us knew our list from a you know from a bar of soap. Um, so the game took a little bit longer, you know, I think it pushed up towards two hours, Alex, it was quite a long game. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was a good fun game with Clarky. Uh, after he'd lost that flank, you know, he was a bit dejected, but then he came back strong and ended up still reasonably close. I think Hector is such a great, uh, character. I, pl- I play, cause I play Matt Gorham, Matt G very regularly and he plays Twilight, um, Trident Realms so irritatingly and you're right the, the low defense is, is an issue if you face lots of shooting right yeah but there's stuff in the army that mitigates it so well there's there is stuff with defense six and ector is just a beast he's got mighty and he's and ensnare mighty and ensnare defense six it's just a big sod off to cavalry isn't he basically. absolutely Put him in front of a cavalry unit yeah he's just anti-cav thing. on his own <laughs> <laughs> he's an anti-cav deterrent yeah Oh. Yeah, Trident Realm, I think, are a great army. There's a lot of different like synergies and stuff. And another round six game was uh, Ben Johnson and Ray Shields. It was a Trident Realm. They both played Trident Realms. And just watching that game was quite interesting because they had it's they don't play like many other armies. Like they're pretty unique in how they how they work and when it works well, it's quite quite interesting to see. Yeah, Knuckles as well. Knuckles devastating oh i hate knuckers i just mainly hate paying matt god (laughs) yeah well i mean yeah they like they kind of got so many units have so many different rules so you're kind of just playing along and you go oh it's got that as well oh it's got Mm -hmm. that as well you know even the special character like ector's got crush two and snare inspiring he's kraken more mighty phalanx and wind blast you know and even the sentinel crushing strength duelist and snare fly inspiring pathfinder right and you've yeah. got you've got gigas right and they've got big shield but they've also got nimble, nimble. that's cool yeah. oh they've also got fury oh sure why not why not yeah and uh yeah, the Naka, and a, oh i've got stealthy right <laughs> and that 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 uh, stream would be really good to watch. I, I mean, I was happy to host that one, and I I got Jeff to come on. Jeff Swan, who's uh, you know a lot of hands in the development of Trident Realms and to play that army at a really high level. So if you're interested in Trident Realms, definitely go and watch that. There's a lot of we, we try to do a lot of like Trident Realms specific just talk about the faction and everything. So it's definitely a good watch if you're interested in Trident Realms. Absolutely. Cool. So that leads us to the, the to the king yeah. of countercharge, the one game that really mattered. <laughs> the one that mattered. Stream for the second time for all of his adoring fans that could stay away. All, all two of them. Yeah. Uh, Matt. Well, Matt was hosting it. And yeah, Matt was hosting. So I don't I actually don't know who the other one is. He just sends me. Threatening me. I was there. I was hearing boring, your name. But, mm. Yes. I just enjoyed the first bit where I got to see Alex on screen. Mm. <laughs> Dr. Coos. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, I got to face off against uh, Ryan Munsell and his Salamanders. This is the fourth time, I think, we faced you off. You should in... play Ryan, right? You must have been like, oh, wow, what a f- refreshing change. Yeah, I think every every UB tournament that I've been in except one, we've played at some point. So it was, you know, it, it kind of felt like the right thing. to Like, it wouldn't be a UB tournament without playing Ryan. So... 
And I think up till that point, we were like one, one and one going into this game uh, or, or lifetime record against each other. So he, like I said, was playing Salamanders. So he had three troops of ancients, uh, a ceremonial guard horde with brew of strength, two tyrant hordes with one with caterpillar, one with boots, uh, two rhinosaur cavalry regiments for his some thick, thick chaff and tall, um, two lechlodons, a phoenix, a clan lord on fire drake with the brew of sharpness, so 15 attacks hitting on threes. And then he had Firebrand. It's another little bit of shooting, fearless, def 5 character. Um, I used a, a bit of a variation on my round 5 list. Uh, so that was the one with the catapult. So it was two Soul Reaver infantry regiments, um, one with Fury, one with Headstrong. Uh, the two White Hordes, one with Pathfinder and one with Haste. I had a zombie horde and two, and then two zombie regiments. I wanted to add, I was running two hordes for most of the tournament, but I wanted an extra unit strength drop because of it was salt the earth. And I didn't have, I use my zombie hordes fairly aggressively usually. So I didn't want to have one to, just to leave behind. So I split it into two regiments so I could have two regiments to leave behind on any tokens that were, that maybe were in the deployment zone. And then three Revcav troops, uh, three Balefire catapults, and then I dropped the Ghoul Gas with wings that I had been running to kind of fit in the extra zombie regiment and some of the items. And then I had a Necromancer with Inspiring and Bane Chant, and then I put my, I had my Vampire Lord on Pegasus, but instead of Meat of Madness like I had been running, I gave him Lightning Bolt and the Boomstick just to kind of create a bit more critical mass of shooting early on. Cause I know I knew he was probably going to be running rhinosaur cav regiments and that's a lot of nerve deep death five fearless nerve to chew through. And I need to get rid of them or I thought I would have had to get, would have to get rid of them early with some shooting just to give myself a little bit of a chaff advantage with the objectives. I didn't personally, I didn't want, objectives out on the far flanks just because my army works relatively well in a compact manner i didn't want to have one that out on the flank that he could just grab and like sit a troop of ancients or a lechlodon on and just like leave it there all game and then burn it if i tried to like get rid of it so i tried to put most of the objectives centrally and ryan obliged and did the same thing so we had three we had the one in the middle and then one on either side of that and then a couple in each deployment zone. So it's a bit of a square in the middle of the board, which I, I liked. Um, I deployed a little conservatively. I think early on in deployment in the first turn or two, I, I think I played a little tight and it was a little bit overly conservative. So I, put, I kind of had two hordes of whites on my left next to a forest. And then my two vampire soul river infantry on the right behind a hill and then the catapults in the middle with the zombie regiments and zombie horde in front of them then i had my vampire and peg with the soul reaver infantry and the rev cap troops were up front 
he heavily weighted his left side. So he had both rhinosaur calf regiments, both tyrant hordes, an ancient troop on the left behind the forest. There's two forests on the left. And then in the middle, he had his ceremonial guard with his lechlodons on either side of that. And then on the right side, he had uh, ancient troop and the clan lord. And the, maybe like two ancient troops and a clan lord. So he definitely had a bit of a refused flank with his clan lord and the ancient troops and then strong center. And then like, he had a heavy flank on the left. He wanted to push up and like really overwhelm me. He got first turn and moved up kind of across the board. But uh, he kind of, I think he jammed himself up on the left pretty early, which I started taking advantage of by using my chaff to... He charges one ancient troop or rhinosaur cab up into my rev rhinosaur cab up into my rev cab troop on the left, and I thought that they would hold for one turn, but he blew through them. But that gave me an opportunity to double charge with my whites and then reposition them outside of the forest. And then, since he had been jammed up, he moved his tyrants too far up behind his uh, rhinosaur cab. He couldn't see or pivot around with both hordes. And that let me deal with his tyrants kind of like one at a time. He charged his one tyrants into my whites and like that's kind of a less than 50% kind of endeavor. I think he would on average would need like an eight twice on the nerve check. So he didn't one shot them. And then that meant both my whites could take out his one tyrant horde. And then his other tyrant horde was still stuck behind the rhinosaurs, which I just fed zombies for a couple turns. And then on the right flank, I was able to like pin his clan lord down and then deal with his ancients with uh, soul reavers and then his kind of chase his clan lord back behind his ceremonial guard with my vampire on Pegasus and Revcab and then that kind of slow I just slowly patiently kind of picked up the Lechelodon eventually and some ancient troops and my middle solar reaver infantry were just kind of holding back waiting because they outranged his ceremonial guard and the tyrants on the left were still stuck behind rhinosaur calves so i just kind of held them back and just like kind of shifted them to kind of hold the center just outside the charge range of everything and then eventually he he kind of just was running out of units so he moved his ceremonial guard up to charge the flank of a zombie regiment and that he had no good reforms, which he was either going to give a rear charge to the Soul Reavers or the Whites. And then I think he ended up giving it to the Whites anyway. He doesn't, didn't really end up mattering because it was like a hundred attacks. So then after that, he had, you know, Firebrand and a Tyrant Horde and a Lechlodon that I was kind of pinged with. Yeah, I think turn four or five, I eventually got enough damage on the dragon with my catapults to take it off. So then his all of his fast elements were gone. And then yeah, he had burned the both left tokens and I was and he just forgot to burn the one on the right, luckily, which let me get all the five bonus points after I think I think and then on turn seven I picked up Firebrand with my catapults kind of insult to injury <laughs> but uh all in all it's kind of just like a i just i was patient and after like the first couple of turns and realizing that he wasn't going to be able to get his tyrants around his rhinosaurs 
I knew I could just kind of take my time and just like plink away with the catapults and the lightning bolt and just position to get like, encircle the stuff. Cause like ceremonial guard horde is, can take a charge from anything, but I was like just waiting for the opportunity to get the double charge. Cause I knew then I had a decent chance of getting rid of it. I just didn't have to rush it because while Rhinosaur have are great, like defense five dash 15 fearless thick chaff, they're also height four. And they're only speed seven, and they're hard to get out of the way. So I just took advantage of that. And because, and same with the ancient troops, they're awesome, you know, fearless defense six, but they're speed four. So my speed advantage and just having a few more expendable units kind of paid off to let me just dictate where the combats would happen and just kind of let me overwhelm his hammers because tyrants and ceremonial guard hordes are terrifying so i didn't really want to let him engage on his terms but yeah in the end it was a complete tabling and then with the turn seven and then i had five objectives so it was on dash 28 stream but i will be be forewarned it's about four hours <laughs> Um, it took me, I, I kind of wanted to go back over it just because I'm not always great at remembering. I wanted to go back over it before the cast, and it took me about four days of, you know, intermittent viewing. You lived through it, Matt, right? You lived through the joy. Yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed watching Brenton die a little bit every, like, so he's slowly, slowly losing the will to one of the funniest bits is that now most people probably wouldn't understand that in uh, sorry understand unless they were really carefully reading the text is Ryan was actually able to completely leave to go and pick up something from his kid's school during one of your turns and then come back yes <laughs> I played that one slowly because I didn't want to do, I didn't want to like start doing some janky well not janky charges but there was a charge my zombies were like with like 9.9 inches away from his rhinosaurs and I was like I'm not going to take that charge until he gets back <laughs> yeah that was a big day for me up at 3.30 to, to cast that and then I was still casting I think at I think we finished up at about 11 o'clock that night with the second cast um, that I was on with um, oh, but I did have yeah. I did have some gamer karma come up the next day because I agreed to cast or to commentate one of the streams and then they needed an extra commentator on the morning one so i said sure why not and both of those streams ended up being longer than my game <laughs> i ended up doing about nine hours of commentating on the saturday to make up for my game did you reprimand them for being so slow when they came with guys you were really slow players i mean you should take some tips from me that kind of stuff you know <laughs> Well, I was just like, I was secretly like cheering on, cheering them on to go longer just so that I wouldn't have the longest game. Yeah. That, that last round, there were a lot of slow streamed games. Jeremy, you hosted another one and that was slow again, wasn't it? Yeah. It, yeah. it seemed like everyone was like, let's see if we can break the record. And it was like, <laughs> there's three or four games that were all four and a, four hours, four and a half hour plus yeah. games. You're getting heckled by Paige. We were playing so that's <laughs> something. <laughs> but I think there's some part of it is that, you know, there's a bit of selection. I think someone, I think it was Felix said that, like, you know, con, uh, you know, slower, con, more contemplative players do better 
with UB just or like because there's less there's no time restriction and then also salt the earth is a not a super commonly played scenario I think that may have played a small role in it just because it creates a few more decisions that you aren't used to making so it's like the burning of the tokens is a little bit weird and unique for that scenario and I think somewhat it's like an arms race. You know, if my opponent is taking a lot of time and dropping in uh, empty bases or, you know, other units to check every minute percentage, I know now to compete against that style of play, I have to take more time myself to make sure I'm exact. And then yes. it just becomes on both sides like a snowball effect. So it, it really does develop a completely different, not a completely different, but a different way to play the game than what is played on the live tabletop. So I think that. You know, that style of precision play just exists more on UB, and then that then takes more time, and then you got to take more time to combat that style of play. I know that having watched my game, I'm probably going to implement some sort of clock on my end just for sanity's sake going forward. Like, I had to play another game this past week, and we were done in like two and a half hours. So it's like, it's not all the time, but yeah, I think it's easy to fall into that trap where you, yeah. if you, especially like when you, you know, you, Round six, you know, top ten, uh, you just put a little bit of pressure on yourself and you don't want to make any, like, mistakes. And so you just, like, you overanalyze everything a little bit more than you probably should. Uh, you play like me and Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What, where I push everything forward so you can charge it and just take it off. I'd imagine we'll see clocks in the next pack now that Mike's released a Dash 28 clock. And, yeah. and, and particularly if he plans on streaming again whenever next CTA is, I imagine that we will see clocks in the pack. Well, I know that the Vanguard UB tournament, they had the clocks and because it just makes sense, especially if you're doing two games in a day or three games in one day, you have to, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Did they have clocks in Bug Eater that you've just played, Jeremy? No. So how they did Bug Eater was really interesting. I'm curious to hear what your guys' perspective are. So they had it was five game tournament, one game on Friday that you could play pretty much any time on Friday because people were working or whatever. So whatever, you know, you had pretty much all of day Friday to play. Saturday, two windows, two six-hour windows, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, evening. So you had to get your game two done at some point during that six-hour window. Results would come out, and then your game three, six-hour window. And the same thing on Sunday, your two games, six-hour window beginning very early in the morning, and then a uh, six-hour window in the afternoon, evening. So no clocks, but I thought that that was really great so that not only could people schedule games that was convenient for them, but it meant if I finished my game early in the window, I could go into the Twitch stream, watch Rashad's game, watch Todd's game, watch like any anyone's like the buddies' games. We were ch- hanging out in the chat room talking stuff. So no clocks, but sort of still time structure developed around sort of windows to play your games. And that makes it a little easier for people from other time zones to get a game in, like to take part. I think. Yeah, people, people pretty. The, the feedback from the event was that that was one of the things that people really liked was having those windows, so that if they had to do a family thing, that if they couldn't, you know, do a game, that 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 would have made it so they couldn't play in the entire tournament, just needing flexibility for one of the games. So yeah. that seemed, you know, that seemed to be a, a pretty positive feedback from the tournament is having those those windows of play. Yeah, I like that idea. Except Alex would mm-hmm. take up a whole six hour window. So <laughs> I'll use as much time as I have available. So. 
exactly. He needs he needs uh, to be uh, disciplined. Yeah, yeah. I'm like on the clock. I usually have like five five to ten minutes left in in real life GTs. But yeah, I, I have a tendency to use as much time as I can. Yeah, I I I really want. I like the idea of a UB tournament, like a proper tournament, as in playing all day. It's just there's something really strange that I don't think that's something I can swing. There is no way I could be in my house with my kids in this house playing kings of war all day going away for a day absolutely fine sitting at home all day playing video games that's not something that i physically feasibly can do so i kind of i feel like i'm missing out a little bit here because you guys can you know you can take the time but i that's not something that i i, I think I, I don't have kids but I, I feel like just yeah the sitting in the in the getting the four games or five games in two days in front of the computer just seems a lot more draining to me like, in, like right. when you go to a tournament it's a lot more energizing and it's a lot more it's different it's like i mentally physically it just doesn't feel like something that i would want to do is like play five games in two days on ub how I felt is, and I made this kind of comparison in one of the Facebook chats, I don't remember which one it was, was like, okay, so going to a live tournament is like the best pizza you've ever had, right? It's awesome. You eat it with your friends. It's so great. Afterwards, you're like, maybe I did a little too much eating that or partying. That, you know what I mean? I shouldn't eat the whole pizza, but it's great. The UB tournament, I felt, was like really good frozen pizza. Like, if I had... The awesome <laughs> live pizza. I would never choose the frozen pizza over that. But the fact that doing the live pizza, maybe now I die if I go eat that pizza. The frozen <laughs> pizza, it's pretty good pizza. Yeah. You know, what it, it what flavor was it? Kind of, you know, a little cheese, a little hot sauce mm, on, mm. On, on top, you know, kill out the, the taste buds. But it was like just one of those things where in abstentia, you know, away from being able to go live, I mm-hmm. felt like doing an online tournament we were still hanging out in the discord like the tournament had its own discord server so we're still chatting people were had their cameras on the saturday night and we're drinking and craziness was happening so it still kind of felt like a tournament but it was definitely not something that i would do in lieu of a regular tournament but something in in absence of it was i had a good time doing it Mm. All right. Well, should we go through the rankings and then we might do a bit of a, you know, what are we up to and a uh, bit of feedback about Call to Arms, given that they're doing the feedback now and we'll probably release this after all the feedback is done, but who cares, right? We get, we've got a podcast, we get to say what we want. Um, so uh, the rankings. So the mother country took one and two with Tom Robinson streaking away in the end, uh, coming first and Paul Brown second. I didn't tell you what, he plays that elf list like a fiddle doesn't he it's a bit of a one of everything list too it's not it's not what you'd expect for a for a top top tier list it's just like just here's one of everything in the elf list and i'm gonna beat everyone with it yeah you you, you kind of look at it and you go yeah i can deal with that and then obviously no one could (laughs) um and then number three dr coos congratulations with the podium thank you sirs (laughs) And then we're just going to keep scrolling down. I um, I've, I've got to just try and find the first American. So we've got Aussie, Aussie, UK, 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 Canadian. It's, everyone is Singapore, very much enjoying this uh, this running gag at every possible Aussie, opportunity. Aussie, somewhere in Europe. <laughs> Are you telling me that Keith Randall is the first US player at number fourteen? And would I be correct saying that there's only two in the top twenty? Wow. What an outrage. Jeremy, what do you have to say for your fellow countrymen? 
Well, you know, the key information <laughs> is a lot of the great U.S. players weren't playing, right? <laughs> Point one. Thanks, Todd. Yeah. So all these results are with an asterisk because the U.S. didn't try. That's right. You got three kinder. Three kinder. That's what you sort got. Of. You should get Todd Sherpa on just to give the full, you know, rationale specifically for. <laughs> uh, no, that's my bro. I, yeah. lo- I love, I love, I love, I love my partner, my uh, living legends partner, Todd. So, but I think the key thing that we can take away as rational humans is that there's lots of great Kings of War players, no matter what continent they live on. Yeah, nice. it's amazing. So reasonable of you, Jeremy. So reasonable. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like my, that's my job on this here madhouse. <laughs> And so then, measured uh, and reasonable. Yeah, and we get down to 24, and then there you are, Jeremy. Well done, considering you, you know, right. people picked your faction for every for yeah. every round. Yeah, I mean, I was really psyched. My goal was to try to maybe get in the top 25, and I definitely feel returning to Basileans at Bug Eater, I definitely felt like having that experiment really paid off in regards to learning what the armies do, of really truly being like scenario focused at all times and having that be like your 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 core principle is to be scenario driven mm-hmm. so i want to appreciate lots of people voted i was really humble and excited by everyone who voted uh besides visibly riley you can go f yourself <laughs> uh, try to pick me the most horrible oh, things cool. possible to play but uh no no riley's my my buddy so we're do you cool. feel like you you play with basilea was better after like, or was it like oh yeah totally. beyond just being more scenario focused but like your yeah. actual like skill with basilea was better i i think it i think it was better because um the issue that I have with my Basilean army is that it's like a snowball army where when things go good, it goes good real fast. And when it goes bad, it goes bad real fast. Playing a majority 15, 17 army with only 11 drops, you don't have any error room, really. So really looking at the scenario and being like, like really thinking about when should I sacrifice, when should I put a piece at risk? Because as soon as I start losing pieces, it's really bad. So I think that mentality definitely felt... Uh, felt good to me in playing the the Basileans, and it was nice just to you know like return to an army that I know. But yeah, it was it was a big success, a great success. It was just cool to like try new things and and let the audience feel like they could take part in it that maybe weren't able to play the tournament. Um, yeah, so I feel I feel uh, really really happy with that finish. Yeah, it was well done. And then we keep scrolling down to Mister Hildry coming in at forty eight. Roughly top third, yeah. right? Roughly top third. That's all right, wasn't it? I see. I see. Mike Settlemyer got exactly the same score as me, and he was uh, he was on top table of the last round of Masters, right? So that means that I'm as good as anyone, right? basically. Well, there's not many Americans yeah, above you, so yeah. Um, and down at Countercharge, worst player, uh, worst player with the best rank of all time. I came in at 69th, so top half. 69. Yeah. Oh. Almost countercharger. Almost. Yeah, Next almost. Well, I mean, wasn't I? That's exactly what I was aiming yeah. for, actually. Yeah. But also look at that field, too. I mean, no matter yeah. what wonkiness, whatever you want to say about whatever, the point is it was still a field of like a lot of really great players. Mm-hmm. So yes. I'm, I'm really happy for how we did as a team. Um, you know, I think we have no, no shame at all. And congrats again to Alex for doing so well. 
you know, uh, I know I've given you slack about playing a, a hard, a, a good army, but a good army only gets you a little bit of the way. You still have to play it correctly. And you were playing against players who were also playing filthy, really tough stuff. So you you earned every bit of your uh, podium. And congratulations, buddy. I'm so proud. And you did you really did great. Appreciate it. What did you win? I don't know. Just the honor. You don't actually get. A I think prize, I get right? a. I think Adam said that certificates are in the mail or something. I've got a special <laughs> bum pat waiting for you when I come to Canada one day, Alex. <laughs> yeah. I'm warming my hands right now. That's the sound. I have a special for you guys. Mm. So, like, for Bug Eater, the awards were gift certificates. Mm-hmm. The question is, is it bad to want to buy yourself your own certificate than if you didn't get it in a tournament, so I can add it to my trophy wall? <laughs> <laughs> um, why do you have to buy it? Haven't you got a computer, man? Yeah, I can just print out. I was going to write a note to myself. Good job, Jeremy. And I'll just put it on my. I'll put Dear it on. diary, I'm awesome. Uh huh. <laughs> I'm the yeah. greatest. You could, you could get your girlfriend to give it to you. You know, have a little awards ceremony. You like to make it up like Star Wars. You could be R two D two. Don't be Chewbacca. He didn't get a medal. Oh, so okay. uh, get up on you the know. step stool. Like have a bottle of uh, yeah. bubble wine. Spray it all over the place. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And if there's a bottle of wine involved, you never know. Might be reward yeah. after. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Everyone's a winner. Yeah. N- um, nine, nine, nine months from now, I'll have a little bug eater. <laughs> oh, that's not the reward. Yeah. That's not a reward. <laughs> Jeremy, I thought this was a family eater. show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so what do we got in ways of feedback? for call to arms so is there anything you guys would like to see different in the in the next time if we play in 5.0 a scoring system that doesn't favor 2300 so i don't have to pay 2300 yeah, all the, the time scoring seemed, i don't know like, i'm interested to see elliot's breakdown that will be completely unbiased about how the northern kings <laughs> system <laughs> creates a, a nice spread and because like legitimately and it's just this is anecdotal i haven't actually looked at the numbers it just feels like there were a lot of 24s and 25s yeah. well, being scored. Yeah, I mean, I, I have respect for anyone that takes the time to come up with their own scoring system, and I I like playing different scoring systems, and I would never not play a tournament because of Northern Kings. Um, Absolutely. But, but if I take you guys out of it, or my other opponents, and I was playing in another tournament too, most of who were playing in Call to Arms, none of them enjoyed northern kings um in this tournament as a scoring system unfortunately um so i'm not sure what it is like no one could be really specific i think a lot of people feel mostly felt like it wasn't really representative of the games i feel like you don't get the breadth of the win captured like whereas like if you because like when you have blackjack and there's the plus minus for like how much you win over your opponent like how like it just feels like that's a bit more representative sometimes. Like where if you if you don't lose a lot, it, your your performance impacts your opponent's score as well, which I think some people like. Yeah, I think the design was more for the person not winning to still feel like yeah. they were in the game. But I mean, that's technically the purpose of blackjack too, in terms of having the split, but still giving you the breadth of score. Um, like I said, I wouldn't not play a tournament because of it, but there's just something yeah. that doesn't feel right about it to me. Well, that's but, a, I'm very interested to see the results. I like, can see like what the actual like 
distributions are. Yeah, I think they'll be roughly similar, probably. I, yeah. I, I don't care about scoring, so I don't care what any scoring system is as long as it's not confusing. And that was my only complaint about the way the scoring was done for this one, was that, like in um, the last one where the center objective counted for two and you're adding up, that confused a lot of people. And yeah, I had people yeah. after going, sorry, was it worth two? Did I win then rather than draw? And, it, and it's just like, no, it needs to be, you know, Play to the lowest common denominator because at the end of the day, I'm an idiot. I can't famously I can't count, right? I need mm. something that helps me to not to when I'm when yeah. I'm in, in, unable to count. Let me know if I've won or not, very simply, and you know, make it easy. That's the only my own. Yeah, there is a bit of massaging for certain scenarios to make it work within the system. Yeah, yeah. and that's what it that's what it felt like. And I feel like if you're having to and, and they may not have to, I mean that might have just been a choice, but it felt like the scenarios almost had to be changed to to fit the fit the system. Um, even with was it with invade or something that they yes, changed yeah. it to be completely over the line or something, and then instead of majority over, and then that, it was the amount of scoring units, not your unit strength. Um, like Steve said, I think that just gets a bit confusing. Found sometimes it was hard to find that information of yes where they would have like the score sheet but it would be the basic one and then i would be trying to find the scenario specific stuff and maybe mm. i was looking at the wrong place but i would sometimes find a heart it would be hard to find where i think they got better with that later in okay. later rounds i know in rounds like one through three it was a bit of it was it seemed to be a bit tricky to find the score sheets i agree but then they, i think they started getting everything in one spot and like How, making it a sticky at the like in the announcements. What do you guys feel about um, making voice mandatory? Are strongly encouraged? Or what do you guys think? It does think make about a big difference. Like a, I it think it does, does make a big difference. A myself. huge improvement over the play quality. But then I know some people think like there is a lot of Spanish people, and there's some other Eastern European uh, players, and they might not feel comfortable. Like yeah, no, that makes over sense. Voice. Right? So, like, mm. typing is a little easier, and using the little target circles just to get, a, get the gist across is usually a little more straightforward. But I think if you can, like, voice adds such a lot more interaction and just speeds up gameplay, and that's coming from me. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, geez, imagine how long it would have gone with text. Um, yeah, and what do you guys think about changing lists? So, from my point of view, I think it, it, it has the potential to create a slightly worse gameplay experience um, in terms of people building to the scenario, which didn't always happen, I know. Um, but, and I know it would be an enormous amount of work to collect lists, um, but maybe I thought, and, and I think because it's every two weeks, like maybe playing the same list for 12 weeks wouldn't be fun either. But I thought, I don't know, what, what if you had to submit two lists or something like that? Submit two lists and you had to pick through it and then you, you're building a list for a normal tournament. Yeah, I think it's tricky when it's like there's two weeks in between and you know the scenario and you know who you're playing. Like some people are worried, we're worried that like, if you were locked in, then other people could practice against your list for the scenario and stuff. Whereas, like, the alternate argument is you can tailor your, your list for your scenario and what you think your opponent will be playing, which is another, you know. So I think there's a bit of pros and cons, and maybe just it's, it's a you tricky know, I balance. Kinda, I kind of like the idea if you are, because I see exactly what you're saying, right? Which is you have the 
the the gaming ahead of time, which some people get into that and they really like that. You know what I mean? Of trying to outthink yeah. their opponent. And there's something to be said about a lot of turn tournament skill too. Is designing a list that can not just win one game, but can com- compete well over the, an aggregate of multiple games within one exactly. event. Um, I but. To me, I, I think playing one list maybe over that long a time might not be great, but I sort of like the idea of maybe having like three lists mm. or two mm-hmm. or three lists and that you can decide, you can look at the scenario and be like, hmm, like what, which one of my lists would be good for that? You know, and then you pick between like a pool of lists as yeah. opposed to being completely Kind of like different. the magic side, magic together and they have the sideboard so you can like swap yeah. in and out cards depending. Yeah. And then you could yeah. still, you could still have differences in your list, right? You could have a list that you build for invade or control or whatever. And then another one that you build for that you think is better at other scenarios, but then you're still taking a risk because you don't know what matchup you're going to get. So I think yeah. it would just lead to more even list building, which I think, you know, if who knows how long various countries will still be on lockdown. So if there's another one and that we want data, I think that would give us better data as well. Yes. And I, and we were talking about this earlier, right? Which is you can't, I don't think you can take game balance data strictly from a UB tournament, UB tournaments and use that to, to, um, tweak the game i think ub is so much its own animal and one of that reason is because people are playing in every given match the most optimal thing that they can play for that match in that scenario not everyone's doing that but enough people are doing that i think it skews it skews the data so i think ub can be a great tool for looking at at balancing data but i don't think it can be the only tool that we use playing it's just too different well, the thing is, like, Call to Arms is more like a league than an actual tournament. Like, it's like you have a scheduled opponent for that week or whatever, and you play this scenario. But it's there's like the time difference comparing that to like an actual tournament with the list variability adding into that even more. Like, I think it's just like you. It's not the same thing. It's not really a tournament. It's more of just like a league where you're playing you have like assigned opponents each each week kind of thing yeah would you guys um would you be signing up for call to arms 5.0 yeah i've been i've played in everyone so far so Mm. definitely do it again steve yeah for sure it was it was a lot of fun yeah Mm. I would, yeah. I, I don't think that the multiple listing would work just because of manageability if it was this size again you know this was mm-hmm. an unprecedented size right so i think for for something this big I don't think, like you say, single list is going to work. Yeah, so, um, although, like in argument to that, at first round they tried to collect, collect everyone's lists anyway, right? So what you would mm-hmm. be doing is just getting people to submit three lists at once. And they wouldn't necessarily have to do anything with those lists. They've just got to store them, right? And then have that public storage so your opponent can check, then was this really yeah, what you said? your opponent to double check that yeah. you're using one of the three. Yeah, uh, the biggest the biggest effort would be making sure everyone did it at first, which would be I, I do agree that would be a big effort because gamers are bloody annoying. <laughs> and if you wanted to do it your way, Matt, like you said, they could say you know we're compiling all your lists, but we're not checking them for for validation. That's like up to you know you to, at the beginning of your game to check with your opponent and make sure. But yeah. but I do see what Steve's saying, which is having run my own events, small events, trying to get 20 people to give me their lists in correct format is, yeah. can be a nightmare. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I try it for, I try it for Clash of Kings and you know what we had yeah. in the sixties this, and it was just, 
it was a it was a dog's breakfast. Like it was just a mess. <laughs> yeah. There's always a handful that will just make it more effort than you want it to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and not everyone's paying for easy army list, right? So they're not getting the nice yeah. easy one. So then they're sending in good army list. Like, yeah, I do agree, Steve. It would be a bit of a hassle. Um, but if they're doing the data collection anyway and trying to do that anyway, I wonder how much more of a hassle it would be. And then also, too, you know, stay tuned. Uh, I'm really excited going to be recording with uh, Mike, Brinton, and Ashley this weekend to do a sort of uh, Dash 28 live retrospective, talk a little bit about not only what Call of Arms did for the community, but what it did specifically for live streaming of games. Um, so we're going to talk, we're going to look back, we're going to talk a little bit about Dash 28 Live, both the Call to Arms coverage, also their exhibition, and then they got a lot of awesome stuff planned for the future, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. So that episode should be shortly on the heels of after this one, so make sure you stay tuned for that content. Okay, so that will be audio. I was I was imagining a retrospective on um, via play yard or whatever it's so, called streaming yeah. with a picture of my so face with a hard overlay as we look back at my commentary fond memories <laughs> i think i think their plan is to do their own sort of thing but as far as like counter we're just going to have a regular counter charge episode for our podcast listeners as well mm. who maybe aren't you know aren't into watching stuff on youtube but still want to hear about everything that went on or maybe on the fence about watching so i imagine that dash 28 will do all their own stuff but as far as like our counter charge coverage we're going to have um, sort of in a way that kind of became like the uh, what is it like the uh, 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 Marv Albert and whatever the Monday night was just like Britain and Ashley sort of became like the commentating duo. Right. That kind of mm-hmm. came out of uh, Dash 28 and then with um, Elliot, too. So, um, yeah, so it should be a fun episode. Um, stay tuned for that. Uh, yeah. So very cool stuff come in the pipeline. Yeah, I think. uh Patrick Zoro Allen and, and uh, was it Mitch Steve the Trident Realm guy from the UK or who was that? Wait, sorry, the Trident Realm guy who played multiple different lists. Oh, um, uh, Matt G, Matt Gorham, Matt G, right? Yeah, so Matt Gorham and Patrick Zoro Allen ended up playing like different Trident Realm lists like every round, and then uh, Ray Shields also had a pretty unique list so i've been we're in the works of putting together a trident realm army review with those gentlemen which will be good as given you know they have another you know 18 games between them with uh trident realms in a highly competitive environment so that'll be a good kind of recap for third edition and the trident realm army mm, great and anything else we want to talk about jeremy did you want to talk any more about bug eater and uh, you, have, uh, yeah, you, have, so, you haven't told us out your your final result either, and I understand there were some special rules for Bug Eater. So you want to tell us about how it went? Sure. Sure. So super fun. Um, Bug Eater recent sort of online tournament held the same weekend as Vanguard uh, by Mike Mike Adkins. So this last weekend, basically, you had sort of two groups. You had the people playing in Vanguard and the people playing in Bug Eater. Um, a lot of people had already signed up for Vanguard and some of like my club mates. And then also uh, Bug Eater is geographically closer to me. So there, like the idea of like I kind of tried to view it as a live tournament and that I could see myself going to Bug Eater for realsies. So I was like, OK, let me pick <laughs> let me pick Bug Eater. 
Um, it was five games, like I said, one game on Friday, two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. I won't really go into my games. I, I want to do a separate episode at some point uh, with maybe Rashad to talk about our games. But the the sort of the key thing was it was um, uh, 15-10-5 win-loss draw, pretty normal. It had a kill bonus, but the kill bonus was not difference in attrition. It was just how many points that you killed. That's how many bonus points you got went into a bracket. So basically nothing that you did would take points away from your opponent, a la Northern Kings-esque a little bit. You know, you were only adding opponent uh, points to your score. And then they had a special character called Ronnie the Bard, who is absolutely just wonk-a-doodle. Um, dash 15, defense 4, stealthy, ensnare, pathfinder. Each turn you could pick an aura, Radiance of Life, or a Cloak of Death, or Inspiring Rally 1. And then he hits on threes, shoots on threes with a blunderbuss that can be used in close combat, and he has Crushing Strength 2 and Piercing 2. Blast D6. <laughs> so, <laughs> that sounds exactly like Ronnie to me, you know? So... Mm. I had I was in my very first game. I played Keith Conroy, you know, Masters level player, well, probably one of the best herd players in the country. Like really, really good, super close game. He has lichens in a forest, fresh. They hadn't done anything. My bard turns to them, hitting on fours. I roll three fours. I go to roll my blast. I roll sixteen. I do thirteen damage. I kill the unit in one shooting phase with one dude. Ridiculous. But the, I think I walked into that game or popped into the room right when that happened. And I was just like, oh, what but the, the hell side is that? Point, <laughs> the side point to him, which I think is what sort of tones that down, is that if you kept your bard alive, you got three tournament points. So three full tournament points. If you killed your opponent's bard, you got three points. So basically, if your bard stayed alive and your opponent died, bards died you got six extra tournament points. So that's the difference between a loss to a draw or a draw to a win or a win to a really big win. So you could cap out at 26 points. So I kind of going into the tournament, I just chose to really focus on keeping my bard alive and trying to kill my opponent's bard. And I'd make choices sometimes to be like, is it 50-50 chance whether or not this is a draw or a win? I'm going to try to kill the bard. Because that difference between a draw and a win is five points, whereas if I keep my bard alive and kill their bard, it's six points. So it's smarter if you're trying to decide what you want to do. And I think in the end, I finished uh, fourth overall, but I got moved up to third overall as far as the podium because the second overall player got the uh, best battle. So they did a kind of a, some regions. I know they do this a lot in uh, Texas, and we and we do it here sometimes where they don't give multiple awards, like big awards, to the same person. They spread them out. So if you like finish second overall, but had the best battle score, you would get kicked from overall and achieve the battles, the number one battle score award. I, I find this thoroughly confusing that you still had overall, even though it was a UB tournament. Okay, so how they did that? It's just sportsmanship, right? But yes. how can you be sportsmanship over playing? It's it's mad. I, so how they how they did it, which I actually really liked it. I liked how they did it. Is at the end of each game, you had um, a checklist, and the che- and the checklist was, um, sorry. My dog. Okay, so the checklist was, uh, did your opponent show up on time? Did they have a copy of your list? So all the stuff that you would want in a regular tournament. Because if you make an appointment with a player during your game window and they just bail on you, 
that sucks, right? So I think some of the sportsmanship was sort of try to maintain scheduling. Some of the other was, did you guys have a good time? Were they fun to play with? And all that stuff is like when you're talking on voice or whatever, or just clean gameplay, you know. So I think I actually really liked it. I mean, I'm a soft scores guy, but I think it it, it was stuff in there just to continue to encourage the type of clean communicative play that you want on the tabletop. The sports help encourage that online too. So I felt it was, and then at the end of the game, you had your uh, rank your opponents from, you know, your first favorite game to your, so of the five people you played, what was your best game down to what was your fifth best game? Um, And I think that's how they determine sportsmanship award. So um, I know it's tricky to do soft scores online, but I personally liked it. I thought it added a nice little, uh, you know, layer to the tournament um yeah so i ended up going three and two but because i had maximized my bard points i was able to turn basically one of my losses into a win and one of my losses into a draw so basically points wise i went like four oh and one something like that you know um but I was, it was fun to be playing the Basileans again. It got me psyched up to continue to sort of paint some of the, the last little accoutrements I want to add to the list. And, and like I said, fun. Not a replacement for a live event by any means, but definitely did scratch that itch a little bit. So I had a good time. Did anyone see um, Dan King's model of Ronnie the Bart? That was he put on for Yes, that, that, that had a yeah had a had a little old fella poking out between his legs. Yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> in that rules committee time very wisely. Yeah, and I so, think I think he actually modelled it off a photo of Ronnie. He told me, but yeah. Mm. And some people were really creative with because that was part of the thing is like people were sharing the bard that they made on UB and some were like really cool. Like one guy had like his had like a Gatling gun and people were having like musical notes floating above their bard, like, you know, so they were actually, some of them were pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. Right. Well, does anyone have anything else they want to talk about? I was going to ask if like if any of the armies you worked on or played in called arms, like inspired you to, work on a hobby like it actually paints some stuff up i know steve you've been working on your twilight ken and and yeah. stuff like and jeremy you're playing a bunch of different armies but like have it has, did yeah. any of the armies you play make you want to work on stuff in real I, life i really like the abyssal one that i played and i think um i like uh as far as i really do at some point want to have an all mantic army or 90 95 percent mantic so the Abyssal army I played, I really liked, and I like a lot of the Abyssal, so I actually bought a bunch of Mantic Abyssals. So th- they will, I don't know if it's going to be the next army I do, but my first all Mantic army will be Abyssals, I'm pretty sure. So I got a bunch of the stuff from that, including some of the Vanguard stuff. So that is on the docket. And then I definitely want to do Twilight Kin at some point. I really want to do a, ki- a, a smash up between fantasy and and a lot of the Dark Eldar stuff from 40k. I think are really awesome, and you could do some really unique, cool uh, design concepts with with that. So yeah, so definitely, I got some juices flowing from that. What about you guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I would like. To, I've been posting my uh, Twilight Kin, right? So oh, like, dude, your Hydra. Yeah, your that's Hydra it all. Steve. That thing is ridiculous, man. The horseman unit, yeah, it's top. Uh, totally it's awesome. cool. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm really happy with it. So, um, 
you remember a few episodes or a few months back just before lockdown i was like i don't want to paint anything ever again i'm just going to get my friend to paint it for me i literally got all the models in a box to give to my friend and then lockdown hit and i'm like i can't get them to him so i started to paint them after a little while and i've really enjoyed it so um that's what i've been working through but i'm starting to feel that that burnout again so i've got 14 more infantry and then I've got another unit of the horsemen, not the same horsemen again. So for those who haven't seen it, what I've done is I've taken, I've had these back um, in version two, you could have hydras. I don't know which army there, I can't, remember, can't even remember which army I was going to put them in. But, um, and I got, um, uh, I went to this uh, uh, Worcester War Games. There was a tournament there, um, Worcester's little town near me. And he had a bit bo- bits box. So people just like give him all he trades in old models for models he had box after box and i was just kind of rummaging through the dragon's box and i found nearly complete hydras so they had like some heads and missing and i i blue stuffed and green stuffed the missing bits so i've got two fully complete hydras the old gw ones mostly metal and and this and hydras aren't in aren't, aren't in twilight kin anymore so you can't use them that's right there wasn't there a formation in version two for double hydras yeah, double hydras yeah the gemini formation. yeah gemini like formation so i was going to do that for a laugh because i had them but then that disappeared so i couldn't um so i thought with abyssal horsemen i don't really like painting horses because it's boring isn't it so i thought i'd put them on so my my base which i'm holding in my hand is um the hydra is metal in the middle it's actually it's on a removable base so if they do bring them back on 50 mil i can still use the hydra but um, you can take the Hydra out and then, and then I, I, you know, it's got some old DW horses around. But it, looks, it looks pretty fun. So I'm going to do a couple of those. I was just going to say that, that, Steve, is like when you talk about like the rule of cool and the counts as, that unit yeah. is a perfect example of how do I do a counts as unit or a rule of cool unit that makes thematic sense, that's well painted, and that, that's just cool? Like you look at it and you're like, you know, I know that the you, you have that's like I know it when I see it, you know what I mean, and that's like what I talk about when it's like the rule of cool and makes sense. That model, it's just a really cool unit. Right, so it's supposed to be a unit of what twenty uh, ten cavalry, and it's actually got four cavalry and a big hydra on it. <laughs> There's like five models. Um, yeah, but like, each head of the hydra counts as a model. Exactly right. Exactly, that's what I was saying. And uh, you know, abyssal cavalry um, they regen, so hydra yeah. makes sense because of regening heads and stuff. So I thought it was just kind of fun. And I really, I really, I know people dump on mantic horses. I painted a lot of mantic horses. The GW horses are just cool. They're just brilliant to paint. They're so simple. For, you know, I, old '90s GW models are just my yeah. my comfort zone. 1991, these ones are from. And the, and the hydras are, I don't know when they're from. They're really, speaking my language. <laughs> Gee, I, I, was, I was pretty young in 91, unlike you, Steve. So, mm. Yeah, no, I was yeah. still pretty old, I'm yeah. honest. I was like, <laughs> you were 15 um, then, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've got 14 more infantry, down, and I've got another unit of horsemen, but I'm, more, I'm definitely burning out a little bit. So after that, I'm going to take a break and do something else, finish up some scenes and something. Yeah. So how about you, Al? Yeah, for me, um, it helped me get in touch. I only played two games with them, um, but getting in touch with my dwarfs again, actually. So I um, pulled out a whole bunch of Shibor stuff that I still had in a box and um, packaged it off and sent it off to a mate to get painted. <laughs> rather, than, rather than painting it myself while I still work away at one test model for the, for the Dragon Empire trying to trying to get the red where I want it and the black where I want it. To be honest, I say working away and that's like once a week I'll put paint on it. So, um, no, I sent off three unit enough for three units of ironclad and three troops of rangers 
um, of Shibor models to to a mate that lives near me, and he's kindly gonna gonna paint them for me. So I'm looking forward to adding them because I found just having two or three units of those ironclad for unit strength was really good, and I really fell in love with the the ranges, even though they're a bit pricey. Um, I, I don't know. I've got more like for them in this edition and, uh, than I had previously. So I'm looking looking forward to adding them. And so he'll paint them up and then I'll just do the basing. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've just been working on the way. I mean, I'm dead, almost done my vampires and uh, about to start working on and started converting some zombies because I had, hadn't figured out what I wanted to do with zombies. I wanted them in my army, but I didn't like the miniatures out there. So. I have like these, the light lighter armored parry infantry, and I'm gonna kit bash them up with some uh, mantic zombies, so that they're they fit thematically with the the knights that I'm using for my vampires. But they're gonna be there's the look stumbly, kind of lurching forward positions and stuff, which is good. And then I think I'll buy three mantic uh, balefire catapults to commemorate my uh, round five and six victories and called arms <laughs> <laughs> and add a little mantic flair to my army but instead of skulls they're flinging giant flaming cheese that's what they're doing <laughs> i think those catapults will go well though with the parry miniatures you're using yeah they actually they have- they, i looked at them and i was like those yeah. a friend like one of the local guys had painted one up and i was like that actually looks like very fitting on like like you know period specific for the miniatures I'm using, so I think it'll actually match nicely. No, I think it will look really good, and the yeah. scale's so pretty I'm, similar I'm too. Yeah. yeah. So then they have, mm. they, have, they have little shields on them, so it's going to be. I think it'll be a good good match, and uh, will get me down the mantic start me down the mantic uh, road. I have been uh, painting my manticore, which I'm using for like my Basilian dragon. So uh, I have been working on that, which I've which I used first on UB and having never used it in person. So uh, the couple times I played Basilians in UB, so that's something I've been probably I've been working on and will be like uh, the next couple weeks. I really want to take my time on this one, being like a centerpiece sort of model. So I've been really enjoying uh, that. It's the Atlantis miniatures. And I'm just really blown away by the quality of their... It's my first Atlantis Miniatures model I purchased, so really cool stuff. And it's definitely a Manticore, not a Chimera, Jeremy? Yes, it's a Manticore. Because <laughs> I said... I, and I probably have called it a Chimera multiple times, which would be my error. But it is it is a Manticore. Um, yes, that's true. You're right. Thank you for the suggestion. I really appreciate the feedback. <laughs> <laughs> That's <not a> service voice. <laughs> Someone's got to be Uncle Rob on this show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I've got a, I've got a face to face game booked in because lockdown has lifted here now to the point where not in like American kind of like we've still got all the plague, but we're going to lift anyway because we're insane. But actually, yeah. because um, lockdown is lifting, um, although I'm worried because it's now going the town near me, Leicester, is going back into lockdown for another two weeks because they've had some more cases, and I'm like, please don't lockdown. I've got a game booked in a week. <laughs> next monday um uh yeah my friend russell's coming around for a a socially distanced game we're going to be away from each other one meter which is now the rule and we're going to mm-hmm. play a game very exciting i might even record it if he lets me you know but Ooh, that would be it. great yeah we might start doing some uh, games on people's decks around here in the coming coming weeks which is exciting to confirm you just said decks right 
Yes, yeah, yeah, the thing outside. Okay, oh, cool. Like ah, patio, porches, wow. decks. Yes. Just got real in here. Yeah. <laughs> well, Matt just hears what he wants to hear. So. <laughs> he does. Uh, all right. Well, that probably just about does it. Uh, until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. Oh, oh sorry, no, I was just yawning. <laughs> don't put that, don't leave sorry that in. Uncle oh. Robbie just call us all something rude and just kick us out of the door. Well, here's the thing, Rob. They're awful. Yeah, it's like yeah. the grumpy old uncle in the back going, you young children with your feelings. Everything's fine. Yeah. And then edits edit seven episodes in 20 minutes and be yeah. like, okay, what takes you guys so long? Your editing's yeah, you not guys, good enough. What you're saying just makes sense. <laughs> Unless you're Matt Croger, in which case your editing is so good, guys. You should listen to Matt's editing. It's so good. <laughs> you're True. his chosen one. You betcha. Matt, yeah. <laughs> I am, the, like golden, the, I am the I am the golden editing child. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it, for sure. <laughs> sure. Yay! It was a big success, a great success. Prorational. Fantastic.